Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Richard Worsham, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you for having me, Mark. That's great to have you. This is an exciting one. This is not a typical guest here at Entree Architect Podcast, although it's interesting. It, it sort of is uh, a typical guest, but not really a typical guest. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to have this conversation. Uh, Richard Worsham is the co-founder and designer at Janus Motorcycles at Goshen. Is it Goshen or Goshen in Indiana? Goshen. Goshen. Because there's a Goshen in New York where I'm from as well. It's the the um, biblical land of honey, milk and yeah, honey. Yeah. Goshen, Indiana. Uh, from an early age, a fascination with design and drawing paired with an ongoing interest in architecture and vehicles of all types have contributed to his co-founding of this new vehicle company. Richard holds a bachelor's degree in literature from Thomas More College and a master's degree in architecture from the University of Notre Dame. Um, through his background in classical design, literature, art, and architecture, Richard has found inspiration for designs, new, uh, both in new innovation and invention and in imitation of great motorcycles of the past. Richard uses hand sketches, CAD, 3D modeling, uh, and traditional watercolor renderings to explore design concepts and document finished products. He directs the design of every aspect of the bike from the overall concept to its distinctive details. And they are 
very distinctive. Um, it, you should, everyone should go immediately to go check out JaniceMotorcycles.com and go see, maybe even pause this episode real quick and just peek over there and see what Richard's doing at Janice Motorcycles and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode uh, because they are beautiful. Um, they, they are very much like the architecture that I love to design. Things that look old, but are really, really new and innovative, um, and it's and, uh, and that's what I see Janice doing. So, uh, Richard, I'd love to start off with your origin story. How did this all start? Where did you discover your passion for what you do? Maybe you first start with your um, your architecture background. Who or what inspired you to become an architect? And then, where did the the paths diverge into motorcycles? And sort of share that that story as well. Uh, so what's your origin story? Yeah. So, uh, well, I, architecture was never very distant for me. Um, as a child, my father is an architect. Um, and my mother, both my father and my mother have architectural history degree or art history degrees with a focus in architecture. So they, they actually met through, uh, historic preservation. Um, and, um, so growing up, uh, my father never, he was, he picked up CAD, but he was always doing a lot of, you know, hand, he yeah, hand drafts sure. almost everything um, yeah. still as does he, he was trained. Does he, does he still practice? He does, yes. Yeah. Um, and when growing up, he had his own practice, a little uh, firm uh, in Virginia. And so we'd always kind of, you know, he'd bring back the yellow trace of the third version and ask for our thoughts on it. Um, yeah. So that was always just kind of growing up. That was the way things were. And we, when we started drawing pictures as kids, we were, I was homeschooled with a, we had uh, three, four boys, all of us, and um, lived out in the country and had a wonderful experience growing up. But um, so, you're, draw, so did your did your mom do homeschooling? She did. Yeah. So she and, homeschooled four boys. Yeah. Well, both they both were able to uh, to educate us, but um, it part part of, it was a, a mutual project. Exactly. I, the benefit I, I, of the benefit of a small firm is you can work when that's, you want and not when you don't want to. Very much so. Very much so. But that's a, that's a, that's a big task to take on. That's it, a, certainly a full-time it was a, job. Yep. Certainly was. Yeah. Especially with all boys. Um, yeah. So anyway, we, uh, we, when we did draw, which we started doing right away, we were doing sections and, uh, you know, plans and we were just, that was just very interesting to us, um, because of what we were surrounded with. Was that uh, part of, part of your curriculum or was it just part of life no, being, it was just, being, yeah, most of our curriculum was just reading, um, yep. and but uh, the the yeah, just seeing these drawings. We would go on a trip. Uh, we were lucky enough to be able to go some, visit France and um, some places. You know, do some European trips, and you know, my father would bring along an architecture friend, and they would be doing watercolors or sketches, and yeah. so you'd join in. And I still have my sketch from when I think I was like seven of La Tourette by. Um, wow. Luca Buzzi, hey. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so you got, got kind of got right into it there and, yeah. and started drawing. Um, but then um, uh, I decided, you know, my love of reading um, and of classical kind of education, I went to a small school. You mentioned Thomas More College, very small school, about 100 students at a time up wow. in New Hampshire and majored in literature. Um, but it was a class, a, a liberal arts education. So it was just everything kind of really, it was just a focus, really. It wasn't, Main, the main focus was the humanities. So did you, um, at that point, did you have a, a career in mind or were you going just for education? I was just going for education's sake, um, yeah. which I uh, 
I'm very happy I did. Yeah. Um, but uh, when, by the time I was getting toward my my uh, last years there, my father had gone back to school at U- University of Virginia. Um, he went from Virginia Tech to U- UVA um, and um, had a professor there that he was really influential on his thinking. And he was kind of at that point getting more interested in the growing kind of recovery of more traditional architecture at that time. And he was able to study some classical architecture and get some theory mainly from this guy, um, uh, Carol William Westfall. And it so happened that uh, Bill Westfall was teaching at Notre Dame. And so I essentially went to Notre Dame because of just because I had grown up hearing about Mr. Westfall, as they say at UVA um, and his uh, classes and, the the philosophy of architecture that he had and so i basically went to notre dame to pick that up and yeah. happened to do the whole studio thing as well because that's what you do <laughs> right so it's a notre dame has a master's program much like they're kind of more common now these two-year right. programs for for people that already have their bachelor's degree and um i managed to stretch it out to three years but uh <laughs> but uh it was uh just wonderful um got to spend time in rome and if you aren't already aware, the the um, the Notre Dame program, or if your listeners aren't aware, is pretty unique um, in the world, really, for its focus on traditional and classical architecture. Um, so it, it's uh, it's really about kind of trying to recover that um, in, in the uh, in the kind of wake of of a sort of we've kind of disassociated ourselves from our past for the last. 80 or more years. Sure, <laughs> so right. it's a bit, right. uh, you know, you, you basically do everything hand drafted. Um, all your final, you know, presentation uh, renderings are watercolor rendered. Um, and I just had a blast. So is it still, that, still, still today that way? It sure is. Yep. Yeah. So when well, you went to Notre Dame, was the plan, okay, I'm going to architecture school. I'm going to be an architect. I think so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I was putting some some uh, capital into it, so yeah. that was the kind of the plan. Um, but and, uh, and and before you did that, was when you were a child with a dad as an architect and a mom with with background in, in architecture, was it ever a thought in your mind that you would be an architect, or and and or did your parents encourage you or discourage you from architecture? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't think I really ever put too much thought into it. I think I had more plans of being an artist than anything else. Um, I really enjoyed drawing um, and painting, um, but uh, I never had really much formal education as an artist um, other than just sketching. But uh, yeah, I don't think I really put so much thought into it. Um, they, I think probably if, if they pushed me one way or the other it was probably more kind of warning me about the perils of architecture than anything sure. else yep. and that's, i think that's the first time I, yeah i think the first time i actually heard a like kind of encouragement to do architecture was when i was kind of coming out of thomas moore and father's like well the west falls at notre dame you might want to try and at least a, a, apply and yeah. um that's when i did and that was the only place i applied i was not yeah. thinking of gra- graduate school was not really something on my radar except for this one opportunity and lo and behold, I got in and, and I uh, was able to really enjoy that. Yeah. All right. Great. So, so you followed Bill Westfall to, or you, you went to Notre Dame to be educated by uh, Bill Westfall. And so what happened from there? So you're in school and. 
I was in school, uh, really, uh, uh, enjoying the, the whole process, but I, in the, I also came out with a vintage old vintage two stroke, um, uh, two wheeler, uh, vintage of Gorelli Italian bike. And that was my only transportation. What year was it? Oh, this was been 2007. No, but what Um, year was the bike? Oh, 1978, which is like all mopeds are from 1978, all, all the time. Uh, and, uh, little, little top tank, uh, beautiful little uh, Italian bike. And that was my main transportation. And I found a shop out here that, um, would service them and heard I had a little community around it. And it just what kind of classic story, you know, this is, uh, the, the owner of the shop was really nice guy. And we had, we would meet once a week and wrench and ride on the bikes and, I rode out about 15 miles out to Elkhart and then that basically turned into a, in the summertime, I would, uh, work on bikes there or do custom bikes with, uh, Devin, who's the, was the owner of that business and gradually just really made a close friendship with him. And it was, it would turn out to be that the two of us, um, would found Janice, um, four years later. Interesting. So was there, was there interest in motorcycles and vehicles before that where, because I mean, what, what inspired you to buy that first bike? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'd always been really interested in cars and probably primarily, well, I wouldn't say that a lot in coach work. Um, and I, I, I had a big library of books on cars that I'd assembled as a, as a child. And, and I love to draw cars sections and all that stuff. Yeah. Yep, and that was just my favorite thing. And I had my own car brand, um, and it's its own logo and, you know, Shudaria Godini. Um, oh, wow. and, Italian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, um, I never really was into motorcycles or two wheelers. You know, I had a bicycle and that's about it. And what, then, what kind of cars were you into as a kid? Um, I really liked, uh, Italian cars from the probably the 60s and 70s the um some of the lesser known brands uh and 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 the crossovers like i think of like the weird brands like the tomaso um mm-hmm. the pantera or the mangusta yep, are just like sure, to yep. me are just like such cool cars with yep. ford engines and <laughs> right they look but like anyway, italian sports cars yeah. but they're they have ford motors and and they sort of look very angular and wedgy much yeah. much different than an Italian, much different than a, like a Ferrari that you would you would imagine. Right. Yeah. And then also paired with um, Aston Martin early, or like Bentleys, the eight liters and stuff like that that are just yep. the big cars, big cars or yep. Bugattis. It's all over the place. But yeah, thing, things that had a real presence, a real form um, were really but how interesting. Did, so, how did the interest in Italian cars come from? Where did that come from? I don't, I don't picked know. picked up a well, book and fell in love yeah, with Yeah, probably picking up books and looking at them and just the design. It was the design. And my father yeah, yeah. took us uh, out in Virginia. There's a, um, what is it called? I can't remember the name. Summit Point is a racetrack. And they do a vintage days, like many tracks. And he would take us to yeah. that. I think we did that two or three years and we would camp. And you could walk through the pits and you see, I got to see a Ferrari F40 in person and just uh, amazing stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of, you, you get it. I mean, I was with real cars and at events and stuff like that, seeing them and talking to people and smelling them um, and smelling them and yeah, yeah. watching them the actually fuel. In, in, raced in anger. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, then in, I forget when 
growing up, my father ended up buying my mother a uh, 1970s Vespa. Um, Which is a scooter. It looks like a motorcycle. It's a scooter. Yeah, real classic. Uh, I mean, you can't, I mean, the design of a Vespa is just iconic, um, beautiful. And that became sort of like maybe a kind of, we all started riding it. Um, little 50 cc Vespa um, hand shift four speed and from there that's kind of that was the first time I was like okay this is kind of interesting and then I started drawing more kind of Ducati-esque 1990s like 748 style full fairing motorcycles and then uh, it wasn't until kind of in in school I was just drawing these in my doodling um, and drawing and then um when we started Janus really, or the year or two before that, I had found a website called um, the Vintagent. Um, you, you may be familiar with. Paul. I, don't, I don't know vintage gent. No. Paul Dorleon. You really would love it. It's in everyone. If you're interested in design or anything, uh, look up the Vintagent. It was a blog spot, just real simple blog. And yeah. he would write, he was, he's basically the guy who at the Meekum auction introduces sure. the bike. Okay. He knows all the history. Yep. And he would feature these different bikes. And that's when I was just immediately, because I was studying historic architecture and classicism, I'm like, what is this bike here? And wow, why did we not, why don't bikes look this good anymore? And like, kind of like a locomotive. And so that was really um, right then and there, I, I started thinking about this. And we started off, our first bike was a, a 50cc kind of like Grand Prix bike maybe from the 60s or 70s, kind of like channeling that spirit. And then immediately, as soon as I started learning more about these other bikes, um, I was looking at 1920s Zeniths and Bruff Superiors and just, it was, it's been, it's been uh, that all along now. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. Arcat studio services, bookkeeping, fresh books, and twin motion. I'm hearing it more and more among the Entree Architect community. Your workload is piling up. And with project conditions changing and limited time to get things done, it's good to have information at your fingertips. RCAT.com provides architects, engineers, spec writers, and contractors with the most comprehensive libraries of building product content. And it's designed so you can access it quickly and efficiently. And even better, rcat.com is free. It's free to use and requires no registration. So visit today at rcat.com and access the information you need now. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. Studio Services Bookkeeping, a division of Charette Venture Group, provides concierge remote bookkeeping services to small firm architects. Liberate yourself from bookkeeping tasks by outsourcing to trusted professionals who understand the nuances of your industry and your firm size. You can maintain control of your finances without doing all bookkeeping tasks yourself. Studio Services Bookkeeping goes beyond traditional bookkeeping to help you manage cash flow, analyze project profitability, handle invoicing, and streamline your financial systems. Learn how to start outsourcing your bookkeeping today at ss-bookkeeping.com slash entrearchitect. And mention Entree Architect and get five hours of free bookkeeping. 
with a six-month contract. That's ss-bookkeeping.com slash entrearchitect. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like you. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you can spend nailing a client pitch, serving your clients, or honing your craft as an architect. From building, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. It's also super easy to get up and running. And the award-winning FreshBooks support team is always available to answer questions. Try FreshBooks today for free. 30 days, no credit card required. 30 days. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and get more time back to build the business you love. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months from the design process, or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up? Well, our friends at Twinmotion offer simple, real-time visualization for architects. Their state-of-the-art technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, standard or 360-degree VR videos, or presentations. No wonder it's used by industry leaders like Zaha Hadid Architects and HOK. What's more, you'll have access to the world's largest library of 3D assets to populate your scene. Sound complicated? It's not. What if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present their biggest idea in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience, or that it uses drag and drop assets and the power of the Unreal Engine to truly differentiate your projects? To learn more, visit twinmotion.com or download a free trial. A free trial today. Visit our exclusive URL, twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect to try Twinmotion for free today. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Today, Janice, that's sort of the inspiration now of those bikes from the 20s and 30s, right? Yeah, it's just, it's really, it's not a, a time period so much as, I mean, it, in retrospect, it is a time period when cars and motorcycles, I think we're, we're, we're really capturing the spirit the best, but it's more about, I think, the, 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 the thinking that went into it at that time. So I think we can do it now. There's no reason I'm trying to prove that you can make a good looking vehicle now, um, but it just takes a different way of thinking about it. Um, yeah. And so that's our goal is to make motorcycles that capture the best in, in, in what a motorcycle can be. Um, and so for us, it means that 
many people aren't going to find our bikes very attractive. I mean, it's, you know, you always have to pick one, yeah, one sure. type of uh, yeah. niche. And what we've done is we've taken the essence of, of a motorcycle for, I mean, or the, the one, one of the aspects of a motorcycle is that they're small. Even a Harley is smaller than a car and lighter. And they're, they're lightweight. They're easy to move, hop on. They give you this visceral experience of danger, which is very real, you know, um, of, of exposure, of, of the open road, all these things. And so those are the things that we feel are what we're going to focus on is what it really is to be a motorcycle. So lightweight, um, lower power. Uh, so our bikes are very approachable. They're not 200 horsepower. You know, they aren't, they're appropriately powered for their weight. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then the design you know, really making sure that the way that the thing is made and the way that it's designed fit with the goal of, 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 of what you're trying to do. So to get, without getting too detailed, you know, our bikes are basically handmade, um, by Amish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the, the simple end of it. Uh, what we do make, which is the majority of the bike we make right here within about 20 miles of Goshen, we have about 60 different people around the County that at some point have had their hand on some aspect of the bike. Um, all of them amazing craftspeople. Um, so do you outsource a bunch of the components and then bring them to one place and assemble them? Yes. So our shop here is in an old dry cleaner. I'm sitting up in the uh, front window right now. Um, and the what we do is assembly, really. Uh, we, we, we do sales, marketing, and assembly. And design. And, you, you've and of course, oh yeah, and the design, yeah. of course. But the... Uh, our, our factory, as we call it, is really, if it were in one spot, it would be the size of a city block here in Goshen. We're right downtown, um, in, the, in the downtown, behind the theater and the coffee shop. But instead, we have all these little cottage, cottagers, you know, cottage industries around yeah. the county that are doing things like laser cutting, powder coating, polishing, uh, sandblasting, leather work, uh, welding and forming. Our main vendor, our main partner, really, is uh, an Amish shop that does all the, the um, welding, forming, cutting. They make our frames, fuel tanks, fenders, exhaust systems, handlebar, you know, everything from the forks to the uh, seat pan. So all the make. fabrication, all um, custom fabrication. That's right. And what about the, what about the our, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to ask about uh, the well, engines. Where do the engines come from? Yeah. So then we, we've, we kind of channel the early vehicle spirit, especially in motorcycles. Yep. So if you looked at Bruff Superior or Zenith or many of these English brands, um, they, they basically used, they found the best engine manufacturer and they used the engine and then they would focus their energy on the, the ride and the bodywork, et cetera, sort of like a coach builder. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, we, uh, we leave things like suspension and wheels and the engine and the DOT lighting, stuff like that switches to the main, to the experts because we have not been around to really make an, a reliable engine. You can't just make it in 10 years and expect it to be as reliable as a Honda. So yeah. what we did was we went to uh, a engine manufacturer that make in China that makes the continuation basically of the most reliable Honda motorcycle engine ever built. <laughs> <laughs> which is basically still powering the third world. Um, so our goal was basically we want an engine that's super simple, 
that anyone can work on without specialty tools because we're a direct-to-consumer. We don't have dealers mm -hmm. or any vintage shop can work on. And, and first of all, that isn't going to have any problems. Um, and it has a kind of history. You know, it's air-cooled. It's got this wonderful history uh, developed by Honda um, and still this kind of neat workhorse uh, origin story of um, being the one, the engine that can just, it's just designed to run and run and run and run and right. not really be a, need a whole lot of maintenance. So that's, yeah, that, I mean, we, we get our shocks from Australia, a company called Icon, which you might recognize the letters are Kony. They're the motorcycle part of Kony. Okay. Um, the, uh, Kony is a the, shock absorber company. They yeah. are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mainly, primarily, uh, automotive automotive. Yeah. Um, uh, and then what else we got? Uh, wheels come in from a specialty manufacturer, um, built to our spec, um, and so then we basically focus on everything else. <laughs> it's very that's that's awesome. I love that idea that that you were inspired to build this motorcycle company. Um, you focused on the things that you're good at, designing it and marketing it and assembling it, and then found the best you know outsource uh, that you could find that would meet the requirements that you need, um, and you did it and you built a motorcycle company. And, and I think that's so inspiring to our listeners as well, because we all have these ideas of, you know, someday maybe I could do this. And then you think, ah, no, that's too big or that's crazy. I can't do that. I can't leave architecture for that. You know, it's like, why would I do that? And so I love <laughs> hearing your story um, uh, about how this, this company works, you know, because it sounds, I know it's not easy, but it sounds relatively simple to say, okay, I'm good at design. I'm going to design these things, and then uh, we'll figure out a way to make those designs real. Yeah, there's a certain level of audacity um, that you need to bring to it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and a certain level of um, of uh, of um, humility at the same time. But uh, it is, yeah. It's a lot of it is just uh, not even saying I'm I'm really good at design. It's maybe. I'll, let's just try this and see what happens. Um, so that's, it's been a, it's been a long, you know, 10 years. Well, this will be our 10th year, um, coming up there in December. That's, that's an accomplishment just in itself. It's yeah. to, to have, it, it, to have any company last that long, but specifically motorcycle company, because motorcycle companies come and go, even they the come big and brands, go. you know, even uh -huh. the big brands are struggling to survive. Um, and so to, so where, what do you attribute that success, that 10 years of, of survival? Um, what, is it just you're building a good product or, you, or, or maybe it's the focus on that niche? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of things at play. I think there's a lot of it's dedication, um, you know, just per perseverance. Yeah. But also um, the, what we're trying to do resonates with people. It's not, we're not making some kind of... Um, bland thing we're making something that is imbued with a lot of value before it's even before it hits the road it's channeling a lot of beauty and meaning and and and, and a lot of people's aspirations are you know they maybe they don't ride it as much as they want to but it, it, it's answering a lot of people's desire for something that's really like meaningful you know you can go buy a new whatever i don't know volkswagen that has all these electronic components it's not it's not an experience where you're ever going to really have a connection with that thing and that's where those old cars like one of my favorite books to this day is ian fleming's chitty chitty bang bang um 
Yep. And that car, that is it. That he's he obviously likes cars. Well, of course, he loved cars and Aston Martins, but that um that that the thing, the car itself has a spirit. And I think a lot of people like that with our bikes is that they, they each one ha- has a character. They mean something. And so that along with some <laughs> just perseverance on our end, it, it keeps, people keep coming back. Um, and, 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 the, and as we grow and as we get a little bit more exposure in the motorcycle world, uh, it continues to grow more and more people when they, as soon as they learn about us, they're like, wait, what's going on here? Why? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so, yeah. So you appeal to a very specific, um, target market, right? That you've, you've selected a, a, a ideal client for your company and you are designing bikes and marketing bikes to that segment of the larger population, right? You're not trying Correct. to be everything to everybody in motorcycles. You're trying to fit this, very specific thing, you know, for very specific people. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we're trying, of course, to keep it as wide as we can, um, but we're just never going to appeal to the high power sport bike crowd or the big Harley crowd or whatever. That's well, I I shouldn't say that we have lots of customers with multiple bikes, um, but you know, they have a Harley that yeah, they they like the two fifty for zipping around town or whatever. This fits that um, niche for them, for them. It's different than those other bikes. But overall, yeah, it's just, it's, I think it's, there's just so many, our goal, what I said in an early video we did is this is a motorcycle for people that don't want to be a biker or they never, you don't have to be a biker. You can just swing your leg over it and go and have fun and enjoy the experience of what, of a vehicle at its best, yeah. um, which it's a pretty, pretty uh, wonderful thing. I mean, as horrible as the automobile is and probably the, the tr- I always say that the, the real purpose of the automobile is probably the destruction of the planet. But if you think about the f- philosophical purpose of it, but there, if it's done right, there is an essence of, of what a, uh, a vehicle is that's really neat. It's like chitty chitty bang bang or some kind of level of this. The machinery is it really has a beauty in itself. And, um, and that's what we're trying to do. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love the whole story. I love the bikes. I think they are beautiful. Again, if you haven't gone to check the the website out, it's Janus Motorcycles, J-A-N-U-S Motorcycles.com. Um, Richard, what what is one thing, this is an audience of small firm architects listening, and I'm sure many of them are very inspired with what you've done with Janus. Um, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? <laughs> Oof, I don't know. I maybe just, you know, my, my background as a in, in classicism as well as in so, uh, projects like this um, is that maybe one lesson would be that it really is audacious to imitate. And, you know, it, it, a lot of times we think that imitation is is just copying. Oh, it's not. It, it's it's really uh, one of the best ways we have of accessing true meaning and of course we don't copy you know this these bikes we make are not replicas yeah, um and the, bu- and the buildings we shouldn't be copying other buildings but well on some level we could we should but but imitation is a, is a process by which we we look to things that are really great and channel that meaning and then r- make it a uh, right for our time and place and so 
to me, we've I'm very proud of the imitation that that I, that I do on a daily basis, and I think that more people should should uh, remember how audacious it really is to to imitate. Because when you imitate, you're you're saying, hey, whoever it is, maybe as much you know, up to Michelangelo, you know, I'm I'm speaking your language. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I love I I love that answer. I think you know, taking taking things from the past and seeing what was great about them what what uh, made them what they are why how did they endure to today that we even know about what they are right and then taking that uh, and like you said um, being inspired by that to to build them for today in a much different time much different environment um, much different people right we have access to so many different things and technologies and all of that um, and so specifically for Janice to look at the past of motorcycles and build a beautiful bike today for the people of today uh, is inspiring. So thank you for that. Richard Warsham is his name. It's W-O-R-S-H-A-M if you want to look him up. Uh, Janus Motorcycles is the company, JanusMotorcycles.com. You should definitely go check it out. Either if, if whether you're into bikes or not, go check out the website. It's, uh, it's inspiring. Richard, thank you for sharing your story and for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Links to all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. And thank you to RCAT, Studio Services Bookkeeping, FreshBooks, and Twinmotion for their support of this podcast. Entree Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We're curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources, live monthly training for architects, business training that is, a supportive architect community, yep, it's there, and Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you, it's in there for you at Entree Architect Academy. It's waiting for you right there at the membership. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris 
owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.